We've all met people with an overinflated view of their own importance. How do they make you feel when they think that everything is, they see everything through the lens of their own life and who they are? How do you like it when you're having a conversation with a person and every part of that conversation always turns back as an occasion for them to talk about themselves? Maybe you're telling them about some distress that you're going through and they say something like, yeah, you, know, you think that's bad. Oh, I've been through that and much worse. It turns everything about themselves. It really, it's not a happy thing to, to be engaged with someone who only is concerned about what they're going to say and who they are and their experiences. And you know, we have been so blessed, brothers and sisters in Christ, to have experienced the abundance of God's mercy and the abundance of God's grace that we can bask in. And as we think about all of the blessings that we have received, how God has forgiven our sin and granted us life, these mercies remind us of how great God is, and it makes us willing to change the way that we view ourselves. This morning as we look at Romans 12, we're going to look at a few verses, verses 3, 4, and 5, that, that really tell us to think differently about life and think differently about ourselves. But when we view God's abundant mercy, it makes us desire to place ourselves at God's disposal. That's verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It makes us willing to place ourselves at God's disposal because we know we're placing ourselves in a merciful, kind, gracious God's hand. So it makes it, it's a natural um, result of that. Secondly, when we think about God's mercies, we desire God's work of transformation. And we see that in verse 2, where he tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing or renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's a natural consequence. We see, okay, this is the kind of God we have. This is the kind of God who has saved me and given me life and has given me a, a, a future that is glorious. When I think of all the things that are mine, I want my mind to look at life with those greater realities. And God has given us an easy way to do that. He's given us His Word. And so it's a natural desire of ours to be transformed by God as believers. And having understood God's abundant mercy, now, as we look at verses 3 and 4, we also have a couple of other desires. I'll list them quickly and then I'll read the text. We desire to see ourselves in light of God's grace in verse 3. And then in verses 4 and 5, we desire to see ourselves as part of God's church as a part of God's church. Look at verses 3, and 4, and 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each 
according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Members one of another. So in verse 3, he starts to help us with our thinking, the way that we view ourselves. And in verses 4 and 5, he gives us a passageway toward that. By instead of seeing uh, me, the muscle, I see us, the body. Right? I see something greater, something bigger than me. And it's so hard sometimes because we get stuck in the minutia of our lives. You You know exactly what you're facing. You know exactly what your temptations are. You know exactly what your trials are. You know exactly what your desires are, what your goals are. And so it's very easy to get stuck in that oneness, that individuality. And God wants us to take a step back and see that we're part of something much bigger, much grander, much more glorious. There's only so much impact that one individual is going to have in this life. But what God does with his church is absolutely world-changing. And he wants us to see that bigger picture. That it's not about you and your circumstance. It's about God and what he is doing And so he gives us some encouragement in this regard. First of all, in verse 3, we desire to see ourselves in light of God's grace. And he says this as with the authority of an apostle. This is how he begins verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So he's saying, because I've been entrusted with this responsibility, I'm coming to you, I'm bringing you this message, and it's not just me. It's not like I have a really great idea, I want to share this with you. I've had something on my heart. Well, that's great. I'm glad you had something on your heart. But he's letting you know, this is something that comes from God. (laughs) You need this. (laughs) According to the grace that I've received, I'm making this appeal to you. And what is that appeal? He says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, or do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's the concept. And the word there for thinking of yourself more highly is the Greek term, huper phroneo. Hupere meaning up, high, over. Over, phroneo, thought, thinking. To think highly, to think up. So you can think of it in terms of an overinflated view of oneself. Don't think of yourself overly muchly. You like that one? Don't overthink yourself. There are ways in which we can do this, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's a beautiful thing, and it's helpful to us, and I'm hopeful that this will be an encouragement to you as it is to me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You're in Romans, so just the next book to your right, 1 Corinthians 3. Paul is talking to the church of Corinth, and, and they have a lot going for them from a world standpoint. They're smart people, and they're in a wealthy society. Things things are good. And he he talks to them about not focusing in on themselves and their condition and their position in this life. 
what has arisen in the life of the Corinthians is, uh, you know, a number of things, and he addresses it throughout the whole letter, but I'll just mo focus in on one of them. They started to be at, um, against one another. They started to form little groups. Little groups. I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. We'll have our little Bible study over here. You, you Paulites, you go over there. We Apollite, Apollosites, we'll go over here. Oh, I'm, uh, oh no, I'm from Cephas. C Cephas, yeah, that's Peter. I'm a, I'm a Petrine believer. And so us Peterites, we'll go over here and have our study. And then you have the really spiritual ones. Oh, no, 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 not Paul, not Apollos. Not Peter. We are the Christ group. Sounds good. And if I were going to choose a group, I'd choose the last one, right? But his point isn't these three are bad and that fourth one is right. He's saying there's divisions among you. And it's not good. So listen to the wording he uses now in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. For one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos. Are you not being mere human, merely human? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is he who plants, nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So what he's letting us know is instead of going in separate ways and trying to figure out your own little doctrinal things, you know, this group here, that church, this, this denomination, that denomination, let's remember who this is about. This is about a God who saves people like me and people like you. And when we go forth, we're not offering ourselves I can't save you. We're not offering our church. Our church can't save you. We're not offering our denomination or our flavor of theology. Those things can't save you. We're offering a person. We're offering the Lord Jesus Christ who held Himself out. Whom God held out. He set forth. Right? For our propitiation for our reconciliation to save us. And so when we go forward, it's not you know, about me and my reputation, the church and its reputation, a denomination and its reputation. It's about God. And when it's about God, how can I think more highly of myself? I'll, I'll never forget during my Bible college, they, they told us that, you know, they gave us these little cards and there was this people, they came in and made this presentation. They were going to tell us how to sell the gospel. It was distasteful at the time and more distasteful to me now. You cannot come up with a great sales pitch to save someone. We're not selling cars or homes or clothes or jewelry or makeup or perfume. We're telling people who God is. 
And so we tell people the word of God. We tell them the truth about themselves and their condition. We tell them the truth about who God is and what God has provided. And we offer to them reconciliation. We say, be reconciled to God. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We call them this way. And only God is the one who can do this. Take a look now at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So just the next book to your right. We don't have an overinflated view of ourselves as though my style of Christianity will, will get the job done. My style of communication will get the job done. It's not about me. It's about what the Lord is going to do. It's about the Lord's plan. And it gives us confidence. It gives us confidence when we go and say, I'm going to tell people who God is and what God has done, and I'm going to, I'm going to let Him do the actual work of bringing someone from death to life. Because I can't give them life. Only He can. And so we tell them what they need to hear. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verses 14-17. through 17. Paul writes, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. So look, look at what God is doing. He's doing this. He's, he's spreading a fragrance through us. That is if we are yielded to Him, of course. Right? If we're yielded to Him. If we're following Him. If we're allowing Him to change us and use us. He does this job of spreading the fragrance around. Verse 15, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Here's why we're here. I want you to see at the end of verse 16. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? Who is it? Is it me? I'm sufficient for this? You? You're sufficient for this? You know, the other church across town, they're sufficient for this? No. There's only one that's sufficient for this. Who's doing the spreading of the fragrance? It's God. He's leading us in triumphal procession. He's the one who's giving forth this aroma. Now He uses us as vessels. But who is sufficient for these things? It's Him. Look at verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity. Listen carefully to this phrase. As commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And so the concept he's conveying here is it's not about, it's not about you. It's not about me. And you know, that's a hard thing to break. Because I wake up in the morning and I feel groggy. And I feel a little old. And I look in the mirror and I see this mug in the, fa in, in the mirror and it's like, oh man, what has happened? <laughs> We're so in tuned with us. And God says, don't be overly tuned to you. And how can I break that oversensitivity to myself and my way? It's by seeing a larger 
picture and the one who actually gets the job done. One more passage on this particular concept. Next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. Our emphasis will be in verse 5. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? (laughs) Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves, you yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all men. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Will you read the rest of that verse with me? But our sufficiency is from God. This is good news. We've been freed, freed from our personal ambitions. Freed from our desire to have people clap for us. We don't need it. Our sufficiency comes from the Lord. When our eyes are on other people, it's natural for us to start this process that God tells us is um, comparing ourselves among ourselves, which he says is what? Not wise. It's natural. You know, um, you have stories that are just like this, so I know this is just this will ring true with you, I would assume. Driving down the street with young children in the car, I'm in my nice big red pickup truck. It's a diesel mm, man truck. <laughs> Driving down the street, and little voice in the back says, Daddy, is that truck as big as our truck? <laughs> Daddy, are those wheels, are those wheels as big as our wheels? We compare all the time. It's just, it's, it's ingrained in us. It's natural. Daddy, are you taller than Mr. Prada? Daddy, are you, are you taller than so-and-so? Daddy, does that guy have more hair than you? <laughs> this is what happens when we're looking at other people. Is we start to see these marks of comparison. And what I want to encourage you to This is my goal this morning. Hopefully it's the Lord's goal. It's what I meant. My prayer is that my goals come into alignment with His. My goal for for you and for me this morning is to take our gaze off of the horizontal and turn it vertical because something amazing happens when we turn our gaze upward. Now, you are familiar with this passage. It was going to be on the screen, but my computer froze this morning and I was in great dilemma. So, you have no notes on the screen. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 6. I encourage you just to listen. You've heard the passage before. Listen carefully to the scene that God sets in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. This is an incredible scene. Isaiah is having this vision of this. And, and it's, it's breathtaking. And then the next part of it says, And I said, this is Isaiah's response, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When our eyes are lifted off of the horizontal and brought to the vertical, and we truly get a glimpse of the glory of God, our view of ourselves is diminished. Suddenly my needs for this, that, and the other are waning away. Suddenly my perspective of myself comes lower. Oh, John the Baptist had something to say about this. He must increase and I must decrease. But how does that happen? It's not by saying, woe is me, I'm going to beat myself into submission and I'm just a worm and not a, you know, no man. You, know, you can get really go crazy trying to, to inflict this on yourself. It is no trouble at all. It is no trouble at all to have our minds balanced if we'll look up. If you're honest with yourself, you know so many flaws, so many warts, so many failings in yourself. And when you look up, you see none of that. None. Our God is perfect in every possible way. Our mind is blown by how great God is. And when it is, I don't really have to think about whether I think too highly of myself. Because I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about Him. This is one of the great things. And just let me rabbit trail a little bit with you. One day, believer in Jesus Christ, you will be in the presence of God. And all of the things that bother you here and now will be gone. It'll all fade into nothingness. The foolishness that troubles us right now. None of that is going to be a problem for us because we are going to have the mind of Christ perfectly, perpetually, forever. We'll be in the presence of God and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That day is coming. And what I want for me and what I hope also for you is that we can taste that again and again, and again, now, it's available for you. Turn your gaze upward, and God will balance the way that you view yourself, and He'll balance the way I view me. Take, go back, please, to Romans 12. Romans 12. So He tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. There is a flip side to, that, to this. He then goes on to say, but he wants us to think sober with sober judgment. The idea is self-controlled. There are dangers 
of thinking too highly of ourselves, self-exaltation. And there are dangers, ladies and gentlemen, of thinking too lowly of ourselves, that self-condemnation. Now I'm going to use a silly illustration to this. I hope that it is helpful. Sometimes my silly illustrations are, and sometimes they aren't. Well, here goes. There's a silly scene in a movie called Night at the Museum. In it, the night guard, Larry Daly, has a conflict with a monkey named Dexter. And in one scene, Larry and Dexter are slapping each other in the face. It's quite interesting. And then this wax figure that came to life at night, Teddy Roosevelt, looks at Larry and says, who's evolved? Who's evolved? And Larry stops and the monkey sticks his tongue out at him. And the point is, he had to say this radical thing to kind of get Larry to come back to his senses. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't believe in evolution, so that's not really a great uh, illustration. But I want to tell you something that will help you if maybe you have the tendency, like so many others, to think too lowly of yourself. That'd be where I would, I would reside in that camp of thinking too lowly of myself. That's I spend a lot of time there. I failed in this, and I failed in that, and I failed in this, and I should be this, and I should be better at that, and I can't read as well as my wife, and all these kinds of things. Maybe you're one of those, and I want to encourage you with this. I want to remind you of something that you know, that you should know. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this. There is no one too wicked. There is no one too sinful. There is no one too far gone. There is no one that God is not able to save. You think you're beyond reach? God says that that is absolutely a lie. He has issued a call for all men everywhere to repent. All men everywhere repent. That's the, the vilest of sinners and the people that maybe are a little bit on the goody-two-shoes side. They go to church every day. They pray every day. They crawl around on their knees trying to find a way to please God. All men, everywhere, God is called to repent. Paul, whom God used to, pit, to write 13 of the New Testament letters, made this statement, and it just it sings within my heart because I, I identify with him. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy 1.15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Ready? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is Paul's testimony. I'm the chiefest of sinners. God sent His Son into the world to save people like me. And I agree with him. He came into the world to save people like me. 
And you know what? He came into the world to save people like you. No one is too far gone. In spite of all my flaws, all my failings, all my sin, God loves me. Do you realize that? God loves you? This reality helps me. You know, when, if God loves you, this statement is true. You have enough. If God loves you, you have enough. Because God's love does not stop. You know, and how do I, how do I reset my mind to think like this? Well, the Bible gives us some, some ideas. I can allow my mind to be um, penetrated, filtered through the Word of God. Uh, a couple of verses of Scripture, maybe you can jot them down and look at them later. Philippians 4.8 and Colossians 3.15 and 16. I'll reference uh, Philippians 4.8 just for a moment. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. You know, when, when our minds are into what God is showing us in the Word, He gives us a better picture of life. I can know. The whole Scripture... The whole scripture is pointing about a a God who is saving broken, wounded sinners. God makes everything perfectly. That's creation. People mess everything up. That's the fall. God redeems people. Redemption. And then there's this last piece. Consummation. And God is going to bring it all together perfectly. God's doing this. And He doesn't fail. He'll get His job done. And so I can think in this way. You know, as we allow God's love and peace and His Word to balance our view of life, our thinking will be impacted. I won't think of myself more highly than I ought to think. And you know what I also won't do? I won't think of myself too lowly either. Somewhere in between. I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. This will raise my understanding of who I am. My self-esteem is encouraged when I realize that God loves me. But I also never think, yeah, God owed me that. Why wouldn't He love me? (laughs) I know a lot of reasons why He wouldn't from my perspective. But God does. It's glorious. Helps us to balance our view. And so we come to the end of verse 3, back in Romans chapter 12. says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This literally means that God divides out. He divides out a portion of faith. It's, it's pretty interesting. The same word, marizo, is used in Hebrews 7 and verse 2. Of Abraham dividing out of his goods 10% to give to Uh, a person for the Lord, right? So he divides out something. This is the idea. God is portioning out some faith for you. The faith uh, in this context is faith that demonstrates itself in serving him. You know, this is why you can see, like, you know, right there, there are people that have the same gift of, say, teaching, and one person shines a little bit more than another. Like, there are people that, like, have churches with thousands of people in them that are preaching the gospel, true, good Bible churches, and they've got 
uh, churches filled with thousands of people. Why? Because God has gifted them in a certain way. He's entrusted them with a certain amount. And this is a good thing. And we can rejoice in God doing that work. And then you see someone else that's pastoring a small church. They're serving the Lord. They're loving the Lord. They're using the word of God. They're trusting and, and, uh, and following the Lord. And the Lord uses them to that amount. You say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for small. Praise the Lord for big. Praise the Lord for everything in between. Preaching the gospel, preaching the truth of the word, God uses it how he wants to use it, and we can say, hallelujah, praise be to God. And so we don't have to be all burdened all the time with, you know, it's not big enough, it's not great enough, it's not grand enough, it's, you know, it's the, the thing, things, things are better over there and, and worse over here. It doesn't, you don't have to think like this. God has called us to faithfulness. Faithfulness. Serve how God has entrusted to you. And ultimately, it's Him doing this work. There's a lot more that we could say about that. God saves, God loves, God uses us. Why would I think more highly or lowly of myself than He does? We are prone to broken thinking. And God reminds us that we can adjust by seeing things in light of His grace. Now, with that being said, I want to just touch on verses 4 and 5 for a moment. We'll touch more on this next week um, as we move forward. We desire to see ourselves as part of God's church. Look at verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There are two concepts that come up in verses 4 and 5. Diversity and unity. So let's talk about that for a moment. Ready? Eyes are beautiful, right? Aren't they? Aren't eyes beautiful? What if someone has 17 of them? <laughs> now we're, it's weird, right? Knees are helpful, right? Yes? What if your knee was put in place of your nose? That'd be kind of weird, isn't, wouldn't it? Ready? How many chins do you really want to have? <laughs> Hoping for one. I stretch out my neck a lot. And when I take the selfies, I do it up like this so that no one can see that, you know, things aren't everything I want them to be. Diversity. We don't all want to be a nose, because that would be weird. We don't all want to be eyes, that'd be weird. We don't all want to be ears, that'd be weird. Knees in the wrong place, not good. But you know what? That eye, if you're going to be an eye, if that's what you are, look straight. And if you're an eyebrow, you know, maybe make it look like a smile. I know we've got these face masks on and you can't really see what's going on, but they can see whether you're smiling by looking at what's going on around your eyeball. The eyeball doesn't smile, but everything around it does. I don't know what you are. I don't know what I am. All I know, all I know is I want to do it in a way that reflects joy and peace and goodness and kindness and grace. I want to reflect God's character in my life. And whether I'm an eyeball, an eyelash, an elbow, a knee, I just want to function properly, don't you? Because if your knee doesn't work correctly, some of you can attest to this, it's not a fun thing. You've got to have a cane, and you're limping, and there's pain, and things don't work, you know, you can't move as fast as you used to. There's a lot of problems when the knee's not working. 
And not everyone's a knee, not everyone's an eye, not everyone's an ear. There's diversity in God's church. You know what that means? You are valuable. You matter. We're going to talk about that more next week. Let me touch on the last one, the unity. Because all of these pieces, individually, that aren't doing the same thing, they function into one body. That's really important that God has given us this one body. And it's all based upon a faith in one God. Ephesians 4 talks about that. We'll probably touch on that next week. The last thing I want to talk about, I want to, you're in Romans. Take a look at chapter 15. This is a way we can wrap this up nicely. Our goal in being unified is that we together would bring the ultimate praise to our ultimate God. Romans 15, look at verses 5, 6, and 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You see how he's talking about dwelling together in harmony? He's dwelling, dwelling together as one. And the whole purpose is right there in the middle, verse 6, that together with one voice we would glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a good thing. And this is why we come together. We started the service off this morning by, by just reminding each other why we exist. We exist to represent God to one another and to our world. To proclaim the goodness of God. Call people into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we exist to offer the opportunity for one another to come in and to worship this God who is worthy of praise. And this morning we've been trying to do that from the very moment we got here to now. We're trying to gather this opportunity to utilize it properly, that our minds will be focused not on me and my circumstances, my problems, my pains, and my turmoil, but to lift, lift them up and to see the God that we have is glorious that saves sinners like me and sinners like you and holds himself out to sinners around us that we want to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This takes our focus off us, putting it on him, lowering our vision of ourselves, lifting our understanding of who, what God is doing and telling us that we have a glorious purpose here, that we can really make an impact for the Lord. This prevents a lot of self-destructive thinking and a lot of self-destructive behaviors. The Lord is giving us this opportunity. So let's go before him and ask him to continue to change our thinking, to view ourselves properly and his work properly. Let's pray. Father, we come before you recognizing that you are good, your purposes are great, and you have used people like me and all of these, my brothers and sisters in Christ, for a pur purpose. Help us that we would recognize that you have called us for a specific task. 
And help us not to neglect that. Help us to see that you have good intentions and good purposes. And ultimately you are going to utilize us to bring glory to your name. Help us to surrender ourselves, placing ourselves at your disposal. Help us to be changed, transformed by you. And help us to see the call upon our lives as valuable for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen.